The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Welcome to the Mind Your Own Podcast with Aaron Sorensen and Sasha Durkin. Where we stick to sports, except when we're not. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mind Your Own Podcast. I'm Erin. I'm Sasha. And Sasha, I have to tell you, uh, this was this was not um, a weekend that I expected, um, but mm. it's a topic we have to talk about because I was actually really surprised to um, find this comment on my own personal TikTok was somebody asking when our episode was going to drop because they assumed the topic we were going to be talking about this week. So that was like a fun, like <laughs> pleasant surprise where I'm like, oh, hey, um, people are excited to hear what we think on this uh, yeah. for better or worse. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I will say that um, I had some stuff happen in my personal life on Saturday night. And so like my Sunday morning was kind of crazy. I was getting ready to order lunch and I was like, uh, hold up WTF. And Brian's like, what? Brian's my husband. For those that don't know. Uh, He's like, what's going on? I'm like, I can't believe this. I can't believe uh, they Nebraska fired Scott Frost. I like yeah, couldn't even for get anyone the words who out. It's like, what are you talking about? Yes, Nebraska has re- released Scott Frost from his head coaching duties. He is has been removed from the University of Nebraska. Um, that sounds a lot more like dramatic than it is. <laughs> it is dramatic, but uh, yeah. Mickey Joseph will be stepping in as the interim head coach through the remaining nine games of the regular season. Hey, it could be ten games if they make a bowl game, right? Um, so yeah, if it makes you feel any better, not like I'm sorry, one that you had some personal uh, things that you were dealing with on Saturday, um, but not but I was just to say <laughs> on Sunday this was a new one for me. I was literally at Vala's standing in their apple orchard when <laughs> I so if anyone's ever wondering how this stuff works, especially in like media, and it's different mm. for all media depending on your relationships and who you know. Um, but if this provides any context to everyone of how quickly this happened and how like no one really, I think, I think there was like whispers, mm-hmm. but when I went to bed Saturday night, I was being told, nope, don't expect anything because one, that October 1st deadline was looming right. and there was that buyout situation. So there was a lot of, um, reasoning and, it kind of felt like I think a lot of people were leaning toward, and I'm talking people with direct knowledge of the situation. I'm not just talking like, you know, my next door neighbor's best friend who heard from, I'm talking like people who legitimately like would have a reason to know this Mm -hmm. are going, yeah, I can't, I'm, I'm basically I'm waking up tomorrow and not expecting anything different. Just like, again, to be clear, people showed up at the stadium on Sunday, ready to just like go to work, like on a normal Sunday. It's not like they brought like extra, like press conference clothes with them because they thought maybe this would happen. Mm -hmm. Um, And so around 11 a.m., a meeting happens between Scott Frost and Trev Alberts. And in that meeting, the decision is made. Now, I've heard others like Damon Benning. He has alluded to the fact that maybe that conversation didn't start as a firing conversation, but ultimately got there. Um, yeah. 
whatever the case was, 1224, the email is sent. I got a text message like two minutes before that email that was like, I'm so sorry for not giving you a heads up sooner because there are people that I have relationships with that try to keep me in the loop as much as possible. Mm -hmm. So that way I know if nothing else, at least which way the wind is like, which way the storm and the wind is coming. And the fact that I got a text like two minutes before that's like, you're going to want to like, and I, I, my exact reaction was no way. Yeah. Like you're, you're joking. And then, immediately like following was like, did you see the, did you get the email? And I'm like, wow, this, this, this escalated quickly because if I had an inkling that this would have happened, I would not have been. (laughs) So you would have been at the apple orchard at Valis. No, I would have been sitting at home waiting because Mm -hmm. that would have been what I, what I would have thought made the most sense. I really thought this was going to be a fairly, normal Sunday. Mm-hmm. I, I was actually more thinking about the week ahead at that point and thinking like what availability was going to look like. And if they were going to go the route of um, post Northwestern, where we got very limited access to like pretty much everyone. Yeah. And my brain was already like, well, what's that going to mean for, okay, so we probably won't then get, you know, a Q and a for the next issue of the magazine mm-hmm. from football. So we need to start thinking of soccer or what other sport haven't we done? A key? Like my, that was where my head was at on Sunday. Yeah. So anyway, long story short, um, I, I do think this one caught a lot of people off guard with the timing. I don't yes. mean the decision, yeah. the timing of the decision. Yeah, I thought for sure I've had this conversation a hundred times and it was all dependent on how the beginning, how these first three games went as, as, how I'm basing how these conversations were before this happened. I did not think if that even if they lost to Northwestern, but they won the next two, I did not think, and then like at least stuck with Oklahoma. I thought that he would have coached for the remainder of the season. That was my opinion at the time. Mm-hmm. And then I, the back and forth was always, well, I think that if, you know, whatever, if we continue to see, as spectators continue to see things not going well, I bet it's on or before or probably on, you know, that October 1st mm-hmm. date to save, to save the university some money from a financial standpoint. I, I don't know. I don't know that we necessarily need to get into the financial part of this today. Um, there are a lot of feelings on it. There are so, I was like, just like you log into any social media app and people are very frustrated by that. And here's the thing I just want to throw out to everyone. We do know that Nebraska is paying the full buyout. You can have any feelings on that, whichever way, mm-hmm. because yes, if Nebraska would have just waited three weeks, um, that buyout would have been cut in half. Um, so I, I get that. Like yeah. I, I can completely respect and understand that and don't actually have a problem with anyone bringing it up. Mm-hmm. My, my only, my only thing that like, I would say we don't know. And Trev, when he held his press conference, he really skirted around this is he mm-hmm. was not willing to talk about if any um, boosters, donors stepped up to basically make that an easier decision on the university's right on the university's behalf. Mm-hmm. And, um, those are those things that I, I will just say we may never know. Like we can always try to FOIA and get information. And at some point you just kind of go, what is the information? Is it like, is the work it's going to take to find this out? Like just short of somebody like running their mouth and going, yeah, I was the one who, right. Like whatever. It, it just kind of, I think for me is like, 
you kind of have to just say, is it worth us like try? I don't know. Long story short, it's, it is what it is. And I'm sure there were some financial incentive in there from somewhere. Um, but not to the degree that I understand that people are seeing it. Right. Yeah. And I think, I think that it can be easy in a shocking, I think, I think this shocked a, a, the majority of people, I, not given the game. I think that once that, that loss happened and that game itself happened um, and, and some of the, the flubs um, <laughs> just throughout the game, um, I think that people could see kind of the writing on the wall eventually. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, I, I understand the shock cause I was shocked myself. Um, I, you know, <laughs> yeah, I, I um, took a photo and it's actually kind of like, (laughs) this is not a trend I really want to get into. Um, But I went back and looked the day that Mike Riley, his last game, we knew it was his last game because it had been building to that all season. It was pretty much like we knew it was coming because Nebraska had fired Sean Eichhorst after the uh, Northern Illinois loss. Mm -hmm. So it just kind of felt this is the direction it's going. This is Mm -hmm. inevitable. And at the same time, you're getting the rumors of Nebraska contacting Scott Frost. And yeah. there's just a lot of reason to know that was his last game. But at the end of the last day, I remember it's kind of similar. The last day of Pelini's career at Nebraska was sort of so Bo Pelini. Um, I should always say like full names, but it's it's bad habit. Uh, I just remember the last day of Bo Pliny's career being at the game and kind of thinking like, maybe this is it. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, though, it wasn't it was kind of similar to how I felt. I would say Saturday night based on the information I was getting where mm-hmm. uh, there were a lot of like back and forth discussions on if it would be now or not, because if, if the thought process at the time was if they were going to fire him they would have done it the year before. Mm-hmm. Maybe he gets a little bit more time. The whole argument of who are you going to go get? Yeah. And um, I just remember waking up that Sunday morning and there was a column from Steve Sipple and he was at the Lincoln Herald Star at the time that was like basically, I think, an interview, if I remember correctly, with Polini or at least a lot of information that you could tell was coming from Polini right. that I think alluded to people that like, Pelini was fighting or I don't know, like quote unquote fighting for his role to stay in it. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking like that was kind of for me, the moment where I was like, he's, he's either aware that something is happening and he's fighting for it or he's trying to get ahead of it. But one of the, like, I just remember thinking like, this might be it. So like with Mm -hmm. Pelini and Riley, I kind of had a little bit of heads up. Scott was definitely, Scott Frost was definitely a little bit different in just the timing aspect. But my whole point was, is I took photos of the last games Mm -hmm. and I was standing in the North East end zone when this on Saturday night. And just to kind of provide like context to people too, that things that you may not see if you're not in the media and in that moment is after, so with about five to seven minutes left in a game, we are able to leave the press box and go to the field and wait because we have to then cross over the field to go under the Northeast overhang and go into where the press conference is going to be held in the weight room. Mm-hmm. And that is usually a time where um, we just stand there. And when the game ends, the, the, the spirit squads line each side, the players run through it. There's some security that kind of like, you know, intermingles in with everyone, but they're not really, um, I would say you don't really see them. They're not really present. Mm-hmm. 
this was really strange because we were standing in our spot where we would normally be after, like as we're waiting for a game to end in this like probably 20 to 30 security guards, um, men and women come out. And this one guard is like directing people like, you need to get out of the way. You need to get out of the way. Like we're in like lining them up. And Jacob and I, who've been on this beat for a long time, look at each other. We're like, have you ever like, yeah. this, this seems strange. Yeah, they literally, like, the second the game ended, lined in, like, almost arm-to-arm so that people couldn't essentially get through them to keep, like, essentially people back as Scott and the team ran through it. And I've Mm -hmm. never seen it like that before. Like I said, usually usually there's some security, like, intermixed within people. But, like, for the most part, the access of players and the coaches after after a game, win or lose, they can get to the people who are, you know, standing in the the tunnel or – they can go and like, you know, sign, sign an autograph if they want to go mm-hmm. hand them their gloves, whatever. This was very different. They were basically saying, we're not letting you out and you're not, we're not letting anyone come to you. Mm-hmm. And I was, I ended up going to the other side early and not standing in what would have normally been the Northwest end zone. Cause that's where we stand until the game yeah. is over. I ended up switching over to the other side. Cause I was like, this is ridiculous. Like I can't even see what's going on because I'm getting blocked by all these security guards. Um, so we go to the other side and I'm standing there by myself. And like, this is a moment I will never forget is there was an individual standing next to me that I have never, I don't know him had never like was not familiar with him, but he was taking photos and I think he was with the university. He was at least in some degree connected with the university mm-hmm. because he was, he was very much like, they have to get this. They have to get, like, he was saying, we, we have to get this. We have to get this. And, like, that always kind of, for me, by the way, is a signifier of where somebody, like, is within. Like, I never say they, or I never say we. It's always Mm -hmm. they because I'm not a part of the team. It's not my team. It's, I'm media. It's they, it, like. Yeah. But when I hear someone start to say we, I'm like, okay, this is, this is a fan or someone who works for the university. Mm -hmm. And he was, he kept like, I know when they were lining up for the kick, he's like, we got to get this. We got to get this. And he's looking at me like to tell him, like, are we going to get this? And I'm sitting there. I'm like, this is a, this is a 44 yard field goal. Um, You think that, yes, maybe this is a for sure thing, but like, there's a lot of pressure in this moment. It feels like a lot is writing on this one kick. They just iced the kicker. I don't know. I was just kind of standing there and I'm like, I think this is this. I think they're, I don't think they're going to win this game. So I got my phone out and I took a photo of just the environment in that moment. And I now have that photo for Scott Frost, Mike Riley, Bo Pliny. And it's kind of like just sad to kind of look at it and be like, this was sort of it. Yeah. And just the change that was going to come. I think what makes this one so stark is just like the timing of it. Like, again, I really, I think we all knew where this was going. Mm -hmm. um, But I don't think a whole lot of people expected it to be the Sunday of Oklahoma week when there was a bye week to come and a buyout reduction coming. Like, I think that's what really threw us. I thought that after Nebraska losing that game on Saturday, I thought, okay, well, It'd be great. Obviously, it made sense to me that they waited till October 1st. But I was like, I guarantee you if they lose Oklahoma, it happens in that bye week is what my thinking was after that game Saturday. That's why my first tweet was, wow, not even in a bye. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. holy cow. Um, I think that um, 
I mean, th- I don't even know what what you can really say about about Saturday's game. I think that <laughs> um, I I did a TikTok live on Friday night, and my gut feeling heading into Saturday was I kept just saying, "What if they lose?" Because I didn't have. I was like, "Okay," looking at just their roster, looking at some some past games knowing that they had some transfers come in for Georgia Southern that were very, very good players. Obviously you saw that Saturday mm-hmm. and I was like, they're bigger than Northwest or Northwestern. They're bigger than North Dakota and they're faster. And Nebraska didn't play that great against North Dakota. And so my feeling, I just, the, the closer that Saturday got, I was like, you know, I bet this goes really back and forth and I bet it comes down to like literally like probably the last play of the game. And I bet Nebraska loses and I hate being right on those gut feelings. I do because I know my overall feeling about this entire last four years with Scott Frost. Um, to me, it's like, it's like what somebody said this the other day and it really stuck with me, but I wanted to, like, they compared it to like dating a girl, but I was like, you know, um, Nebraska, like it's like wanting to date somebody like really badly and and you feel like if you don't start dating them they're going to be the one that got away but you weren't ready to commit to that mm-hmm. and so what could have been didn't have the opportunity to blossom into what i think what your expectations are you know like yeah. if you're you know i i can remember just to make the make this make sense i wanted to date this person when i was a lot younger and i felt I was I wasn't I mean I was too young but I was I was I was like if I don't date them now oh my god I, I I'll lose I'll lose them and I think that this was that job for Scott Frost if that makes sense it's like I got I I have to take this opportunity and I think that ultimately what would have benefited all parties involved and I wish could have happened and granted hindsight's 2020 but I've always thought that it would have been beneficial for Scott to have coached somewhere else first Mm-hmm. In, a, in a better conference than than the AAC to get some more reps as a head coach underneath his belt before coming home because now you're in a situation where you can't come home again. Yeah. If that makes sense. Like they say it in in radio a lot, you can't go back home. You yeah. can't recreate what you already, you know, created and that's kind of like you can't recreate what you did at UCF and play that same way in the Big 10 and expect to have success and that's always been my concern that was my concern from the the beginning. Well, so I oh gosh, this might be like two-parter. This might like take multiple <laughs> episodes because I have a lot of thoughts about Central Florida and what happened yeah. there and how that we we really like here's here's the rea- here's the reality. So for people who have come at members of the media, which like, this is always kind of what happens in these cases is like, why didn't you see this? And here's the reality is at that time when Nebraska had decided to part ways with Mike Riley, you had to hire Scott Frost. There was no other choice. If Nebraska would have let Scott Frost go to Florida or anywhere else, it would have been deemed the worst. It would have, people would have viewed it as like, wow, Nebraska is so irrelevant that the, the, the golden coach would not even come here and he is from here. And so that's the thing that like the central Florida piece though, like I have said this and this is worth a deeper dive than just the the quick pass by I'm going to give this, but central Florida, despite going zero and 12, that winless season was not great. Um, However, that team had just like, 
that team had just been to some big bowl games within the like couple of years prior right. to that. Like this team knew how, like that Central Florida team knew how to win. Right. So when Scott Frost came in, he wasn't having to, and I want to be really careful with this because I want to say something that is also really important here. But when he came in, he wasn't having to teach a mentality of winning. He already had a group that knew they were hungry for that. They, right. they wanted to get back there. What happened in that 0-12 season was such a fluke that they were like, wanting to absolve themselves of that mm -hmm. with that said do not take my words to to say that mike riley left scott with nothing i think that is a very lazy argument uh, and yeah. the reason i say that is because there were a lot of players when we talk about mick stoltenberg um you could make the argument that like no they're not like sec caliber level players mm -hmm. uh, sure but like nebraska had a lot of players on its roster that were very bought in who really wanted to perform well for Scott Frost and for Nebraska, where when we talk about what Nebraska either did or did not have from Mike Riley, it, it's, it's like I said, it's a lazy argument. It's basically yep. trying to say, it's trying to absolve Scott Frost from having to own some of that development. Yep. And the reason I point that out is because to me, it was never a culture thing. It was never that like the culture was so terrible and play players were bought in. Like we heard them. They were, yes. they were very bought in. There were some that weren't, but you're going to find that anytime there's a coaching change, to mm -hmm. be clear. It's not mm -hmm. like this is unique in this situation. You're always going to find those players who are like, this coach doesn't vibe with me. If I had gotten to commit, I would not have committed to him. Mm -hmm. So my point here is though, Scott did have a team at that point when he walked in 2018 had not been to a bowl game since 2016. So you have a team that has been struggling kind of with the concept of winning. Doesn't mm -hmm. know how to win when it's important. Doesn't know how to come through in those big moments. You saw it Saturday. You are playing incredibly close with, by the way, Georgia Southern. Yes, Nebraska should not have lost to Georgia Southern. That Georgia Southern team is still really good. Yes. Um, Helton has done a really good job in, in a nine-month period with that team. So again, let it be shown what you can do when you come in and it's not about like I always like and I can go back and look at like what I said and wrote at the time and maybe say I shouldn't have said those things and that's fine but at the time like yeah Scott Frost walked in had a lot of confidence that's what you wanted that's what yeah. it felt like but within that year to follow I think we started to see maybe some of those cracks of the development wasn't happening as quickly as it needed to um mm -hmm. the the excuses were becoming more frequent around this idea of culture and mm -hmm. being left. And it didn't help. Gosh, y'all, like, I'm sorry if um, I, I really am not trying to be like, make anyone mad. But like, these are the things for me that like, in hindsight, is good for me and my career to be aware of so that I can yeah. be mindful the next go round is it doesn't help when you have Tom Osborne saying the exact same thing and going, Oh, he was left with nothing because people take Tom Osborne's word as gospel. Yep. And so you have Tom Osborne out here who is, you know, the gospel of Nebraska football. And he's saying, Oh, he was left with nothing to imply that like the previous staff, like just gave them absolutely nothing. And yep. then. I and know. to me, I, to me, I feel like that's another dagger in, into into confidence. You've got Tom Osborne saying that they were left with nothing. Well, how are the players that were that are left over supposed to feel about that? And how is that supposed yes. to build confidence in any way? You know they're on social media, and that goes back to intent and and just choosing your words carefully. I I think I under 
psychologically, I can understand why that was said. Yeah. It was a support. I think people were trying to be supportive. They wanted wanted to say, Scott, we've got your back. Like, I understand where you're coming from. Like, that's the thing that, like, when we sit there and we, like, look at why people said what they did, there was was reason for it. They weren't, like, just trying to be... I don't think oftentimes people were actually even trying to be facetious towards Mike Riley and what his staff did. They were just more or less just trying to say, Hey, um, this, this is a thing that we should all be aware of. Um, but for me in hindsight, like these are the culture killers more than anything else. Like this is the stuff where again, like I, I don't want to make excuses for myself and I'm not, but I think, you know, there's a reality check for myself as well that as somebody who works in the media and kind of like the discernment that I have in the future, I'm going to be much more aware of some of these, like, I don't know, just. And these, at the time they seem like small, small things, but I think those small things in, in athletics or in in any part of your life really can add up and compound upon each other. Mm -hmm. And they end up building a wall that wasn't probably intentionally meant to be built. Um, I think that you have a really good point though. And something that I hadn't considered, which, so I'm glad that we're talking about this, but I, I, and and now thinking about taking into consideration what you just said and how I feel about it is, is like, to a certain extent, I feel like when it comes to Scott Frost, they were, I say this now and it's probably going to be taken out of context, but damned if they do damned if they don't, because you're right. I think that they would have, it would have been perceived that they made a mistake had they not hired him at that point in time. You had to hire him. You had to hire him. You had to like, unfortunately, like there was never a coaching search. There was never an option. Like, here's the thing, y'all, you're going to hear so many names in the coming weeks. Like, yeah. And I'm just going to offer you my perspective. Um, and I will also say at hillvarsity.com, like we have, like, I appreciate it. By the time you listen to it, it will be live. But Brandon Vogel did a deep dive on the candidates that could be getting considered and looked at it from a data-driven perspective, right. not a I'm hearing anything because I'm going to tell you right now, this is source season. This yeah. is where a regent or a booster or anyone who has like a vague connection to the program is going to suddenly say, oh, I have some information. I know for Mm -hmm. a fact. And so they're going to say, oh, Nebraska is specifically looking at Lance Leifold, Matt Campbell. They're going to name names that like make a lot of sense Mm -hmm. because they do. Right. Like if if Trev is not having conversations with Matt Campbell and Lance Leipold and and insert list here, that would be bonkers. He of course should be having those conversations. And I'll come back to that in just a second. I want to point this out because this is what I was talking about. So the 2015 season was that 0-12 season for UCF. Um, That was when uh, George O'Leary, he was like, he he was gone about midway through the season. It went on to be an 0-12 season. Two years prior, the 2013 UCF Knights football team went to the Fiesta Bowl and beat Baylor 52-42. to That was two years prior to that season. Now you go, well, Aaron, what happened in 2014? They didn't win the bowl game, but they still went to a bowl game. They went to the St. St. Petersburg Bowl. They lost to NC State 34 to 27, but still ended with a nine and four season, seven and Mm -hmm. one in the American Conference. This is a team that knew how to win and at least knew how to play in these games. So when Scott Frost took over in 2016, again, you had a group that was like, 
this is like I said, a deeper dive. Like, but yeah. I have talked to players who were on these UCF teams at that time, and this is their perspective on it. Like, they needed a jolt of energy that was mm-hmm. really more what they needed. They needed a jolt of energy. They needed a belief system. Scott Frost came in. He was that. He came in. There was a very different level of pressure at UCF than there is at Nebraska. He didn't have. 40 media members showing up after every single practice. He was sort of allowed to just exist. He got to be kind of, quote unquote, a bro with all Mm -hmm. of them. He got to be buddy, buddy. There was a lot less pressure, a lot less of this, like, all everything else that comes with Nebraska, which also, by the way, is not just a Nebraska thing. This would be the case if he was at Ohio State, Alabama. It doesn't matter. There are programs where if you are going to be the head coach or within a position at one of those schools, it's just going to come with everything that it's going to come with all of this. Yep. So that it was sort of the perfect storm, in my opinion, for what he was able to do. And so then you're Nebraska, you, you know, you're parting ways with Mike Riley. And it's like, this, this is the time we have to, if he's going to go to Florida, if we don't go get him, he's going to go to yeah. Florida. He's going to go somewhere else. And then what? I then just, what? I wish that it didn't have to be that way because mm-hmm. I do think, okay. And here's the other thing, just because it's just popped in my head. I've heard, I've seen uh, thousands I'm going to say thousands because whatever it's Twitter. Um, but so many people saying, well, why did they bring him back? Because I do think that Trev was being honest when he said in that press conference, we thought this would work. Mm-hmm. Why else would they? Why else? I think Trev, I think Trev Alberts also was in a really, it's kind of all been the damned if you do damned, if you don't yes. kind of stuff, because so Trev Alberts comes in mid summer, 2021. And he's, he's staring down a, football he ends up with a football season that doesn't go well he ends up with a basketball season a men's basketball season excuse me that doesn't go well he ends Mm -hmm. up with a baseball season that doesn't go well so your three primary men's sports at the university of nebraska just like tank will bolt was never in trouble to be clear will bolt was never going to be an issue but you're trev and you're you're brand new on this job and you're now looking at do i need to get rid of my my head football coach who has an incredible incredibly high buyout mm-hmm. um but then also fire my men's basketball coach and at the same time nebraska was in like i get it there's the big 10 tv money all of this stuff yes this helps but like when we talk about the financial state that nebraska was in after bill moose departed mm-hmm. bill moose did not leave nebraska in the most sound financial its athletic department in the most fi- sound financial state you can go out and read all the stories that have come yeah. out after bill moose was you know retired whatever the, there's so many opinions around that which um fair that's like a whole separate episode yeah. but like my point is he he didn't leave nebraska in the most stable financial situation in the athletic mm-hmm. department whether he did that alone or not, like, I'm just, it doesn't matter. Um, So you're Trev and you're looking at this and you're like, wow, this is a lot of money. Um, You know, maybe we can make this work. Maybe Mm -hmm. we give like, we give those benchmarks. We say, this is what we're going to do. We're going to negotiate a buyout situation where it gets lower, but I get it. People are like, well, if that was the case and it was always about negotiating that buyout, then why didn't he wait? And again, I just, without that, like, I just feel fairly confident that there was some, there was, there was, there's a reason that he felt comfortable doing it now. Right. And there's like, I, when I say that Trev is calculated, there's somebody out there that's going to be like, of course he is because he got rid of UNO's wrestling and football team. And okay. 
Yeah. That's actually, if we want to have that conversation at some point, we certainly can. It's way too long for this particular episode. But yes, when it comes to calculated, he is calculated in the sense that like he is always looking at the financial state of everything. He's very business minded. Um, but this is a man that I can promise you was looking at what if Scott Frost beats Oklahoma? What if he beats Oklahoma? Suddenly then now I'm losing people who maybe were on board with this decision that suddenly aren't because they're like, Oh, give them more time. But like, then you go through a bye week and then you come up against Indiana, I believe. Mm-hmm. And suddenly like, what if like the wheels fall off against Indiana? Right. <laughs> it's like, it, it becomes, it becomes really messy really fast. And yes. so if he had the, if he felt comfortable in what needed to happen now to kind of save the potential of the potential mess, mm-hmm. he may have felt that that was worth it financially in the end. Yeah. And, and if you could say, if you could give him true serum and say, would you have preferred to wait? He probably would say yes. Oh, for sure. Because that would have been more ideal. I think um, any athletic director would say that. But at the same time, situation. you're, yes, but you're having to think about, um, there's other things you're having to think about sponsors. You're having mm-hmm. to think about the supporters of like, he also has to think about selling seats. Yes. He has to think about the fan uh, donations. Like there's mm-hmm. so much more that he's thinking about than just that buyout itself. Where yeah. suddenly now you're going, where am I maybe losing money? That's going to also, ma- so long story short, like I think he, I think, I don't think that those two necessarily contradict each other as much as people are seeing it as so, but I can understand why people feel that way. I just don't 100%. know if they do sincerely take into, yeah, take into consideration all of the other elements that go into a, a decision like this. I think too, something that adds to that is, you know, you have these benchmarks set and, and you make some moves in, in coaching staff and things like that, but then for it to seem like the team regressed in areas where they were progressing last season. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think that there's enough evidence there to, for proof that this wasn't going to get better. Um, I, I'm, I, I'm glad that you brought that up because I want to talk about talent. So don't yes. let me forget. <laughs> yes. A thousand percent. I think too. And I understand there are so many things about this situation that I understand. And anyone could say one thing to me, I'd be like, okay, you're, you're, you're probably right there, but, and there, there's a lot of that, I think here in this situation. Um, I, I understand that, that there is, there are a lot, quite a few transfers, but I think that there, I think that we would be dismissing a lot of things if we just said, Oh, there's, there's a lot of transfers. Okay. But those transfers are talented. Mm-hmm. So I, like that's another thing where like I feel like the conversation around this it's it's one of those things where you can tear down that confidence that maybe some of these players have or this team has just mm-hmm. by being in the echo chamber that is Nebraska football specifically like like what I feel like in a way you're almost talking shit <laughs> like without trying like meaning to yeah, I so I don't like the talent conversation because here's 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 the reality. There's too much talent on the team. Like I, I'm gonna I'm gonna actually start with somebody who wasn't even a transfer. Like mm. um you can feel however you want to about Garrett Nelson. Mm. Um, but there's no reason in my mind that he should be regressing as a player. And now he may disagree with that assessment. I don't I don't think he like my point is is I heard somebody else say this and it actually really stuck with me with 
when it comes to a guy like Garrett. Mm -hmm. And I feel this way about, um, like Nick Henrich as well. Yeah. When things are going bad, you start to feel like you have to overdo everything that your job suddenly becomes, I have to handle everything, not just my job. Mm -hmm. And players start to overcompensate for things that they shouldn't be worrying about. And right. I think someone like Garrett, for example, takes the weight of everything on his shoulders. And so he is somebody where I'm like, there's kind of two layers to this where I think that there's so, there's so much sincere talent on this team, whether you're looking at the transfers like Trey Palmer or O'Shawn Mathis, or you're mm -hmm. looking at the players who have returned. And I think of a Travis vocal now he's been injured, yeah. but like when we're watching players and they're in it specifically on defense, um, I, I, the thing that really stands out to me and I keep bringing this up is the defense, you can kind of start to see where the breakdown is coming from when you look at the tackles on the team. Mm -hmm. Because, yes, your secondary and your linebackers are typically going to lead your team in um, in total tackles. Yeah. That That's – it's – yes. However, when your secondary is the one who has – is leading the team in tackles, it starts to tell you how that game is going. And so, for instance, on Saturday against Georgia Southern, four out of the top five tackle leaders um, – in the first half, we're in the secondary. One linebacker was in the top five. Mm -hmm. And the reason that stood out to me is I'm like, that means, and now Georgia Southern is a throwing team, but Georgia Southern wasn't throwing the ball as much as they normally do. They were running the ball a lot. That secondary was being forced to basically, the, the ball was getting to them way too much, whether it was on the ground or in mm -hmm. the air. It does not matter. The ball was getting to them too much where you have all of these players on the secondary who are now leading in tackles, but your linebackers aren't. Mm -hmm. There's so much where I'm like, there's fundamental football breakdown here. There's, there's yes. fundamental. And now, yes, you could say, well, the, the defensive coordinator is still on staff. Okay. Um, but at the same time, like we even look at the offensive side of the ball. Now the offense has been performing well because I think Casey Thompson is a, is a good quarterback. I think yes. they have a lot of elite playmakers, but that offensive line hasn't gotten better. Right. Like how is Thank the offense like, how, like, how do you recruit these players that are like, I understand recruiting only means so much. I get it. However, you aren't bringing in, you know, these players that other schools identified as talented. Like, it's not like they're only being recruited by Nebraska. Like, they're being recruited by other Power 5 programs that want these players. And then they come to Nebraska and they don't perform. And then the most frustrating part is for so many of these offensive linemen specifically – they get drafted or they get picked up as free agents, undrafted free agents, and then they perform well right. at their NFL teams. So what like, does that say about what's going on here? I think that those underlying things are the things that should be getting more attention than they are. Instead of broad brush being like, oh, the entire defensive line is terrible. Oh, the, but the offense looks good. Are you watching the whole thing? Mm-hmm. Because there are there are so many parts to a, a successful football team, and there's some breakdown somewhere, and that ooh, it frustrates the hell out of me because it's not brought up enough. The thing that like people will do is they'll go, well, it was Greg Austin or it's it's Rayola. They 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 will point to the the position coach, which sure yeah. they okay. can have their blame too. Right. Um, but at some point, the the head coach also has to be responsible for the lack of development of a team or when things aren't like. If I'm Scott Frost and my offensive line in four years has not gotten any better at all, I need to look at like what, what it, something is the, something is so broken here mm -hmm. that it's, it's, it appears that the development <laughs> 
is not happening in, in the way that it should. And yeah. so that is where I, I listened to a lot of what Trev was saying when he talked about, you know, Mickey Joseph is going to be free to make the changes and everything that he wants to do. He can change how practice happens. He can change when they practice. He can change the just the way things are done. And I'll be really interested to see now, you know, development over a season is tough, um, mm-hmm. but they could certainly they could certainly still turn around. I, I do sincerely believe that this is an Nebraska football team that has enough talent to win. I, I don't I think that this is an untalented team. In fact, I one of the things that truly resonated with me in all of this is when Trev kept pointing back to the players and saying, they deserve essentially something. Yes. They deserve the opportunity to win. I think about how many people got so mad when Adrian Martinez, you know, talked about like how Kansas state felt like a good fit for him. And I'm thinking like Adrian Martinez deserves to go to Kansas state and feel, feel like he gets an opportunity to accomplish the things that he wanted in college. Any of these players do. Yes. And that is the case for every player at Nebraska. They deserve to feel like they have an opportunity to win through this season. And I just, that really resonated with me where I was like, you know, the, the story of Scott Frost will be one that will be dissected for a very long time, but I appreciated Trev saying we need to move on and we need to put our focus elsewhere because here's, here's just a little, like, I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to gloss over this. This is really important to me. Um, Mickey Joseph is Nebraska's interim head coach. This is exciting because on a varsity varsity sport level, and I'm being clear on this because it's really important that we we don't gloss over everything. Um, he is the very first black head coach of any program at a varsity sport level at Nebraska. The reason I make that designation is because I think we also need to be mindful of the fact that he is not the first black coach at Nebraska at all. Mm -hmm. And I want to point this out because I I do believe she deserves the attention as well. Aaron Butsky is the spirit squad head coach at Nebraska. Now, Nebraska's spirit squad, which this could be a whole separate discussion, is not considered a varsity sport. So when we're talking about the history, if you will, Mm -hmm. that Mickey Joseph is making, which is still historic. I want to be clear. Yes. This is the biggest program at Nebraska with a a black head coach, interim or not, in this position for the first time ever. It's it's a big deal. Yeah. Um, but I do think we need to also, you know, pay mind to Erin and give her her respect because she has been in her role since 2011, leading the Nebraska cheerleading team, the Scarlet Stands team, and the mascots. And she she is a very amazing woman. She's a very, um, she's just incredible. She's very good at what she does. She's brought stunting back to Nebraska. She keeps elevating these programs. Mm -hmm. She, um, she deserves her credit too. So I think when we're having these conversations, please do not leave out Erin in that discussion because she also deserves the kudos and the credit for the role that she has taken on leading at the university of Nebraska as a black head coach who honestly gets, um, I think glossed over sometimes because again, yeah. Nebraska does not consider the spirit squad a varsity sport. A lot of, a lot of schools do not. Most schools do not. And when that happens, it can be easy to, you know, not pay mind to the full picture. So yeah. again, we should absolutely be selling celebrating Mickey Joseph and the history that he is making. I just want to be sure that we don't forget the the other piece that like Aaron has been in this role for. 11 years now and doing incredible yeah. work. So also be mindful when you're celebrating Mickey to also keep Aaron in the discussion. Now that's, that's a really good point. I think that, 
I, I saw, I think Drake might've been the first person who, who put that, pointed that out. And I was like, I didn't even mm-hmm. realize um, at the varsity level that yes. uh, that was the case. Now I will give him a ton of credit and I, I want to talk about why representation mattered really quick um, because uh, Drake actually wrote when, so this is like when we, when we were fortunate enough to hire Drake as an intern during his senior year of college, it became very, very clear quickly how talented he was, mm-hmm. but also how valuable his voice was to us and to the broader media as a whole in Nebraska, mm-hmm. because he wrote a story for, Um, It kind of went across like all these different Nebraska student channels like Unlimited Sports, Nebraska's News Service, Nebraska Nightly. But the headline is Nebraska grapples with historical lack of black head coaches. And he like he in this like he he went through this and discussed Mm -hmm. like, hey, here are all these things. But like he made sure when we were talking about like, you know, when you're putting into context everything now this story does not directly discuss Aaron because he looked at just the the varsity level sport Mm -hmm. um but whenever he talks about like the whole scope of the story he he mentions like you should be talking with her you should be you should be reaching out and having conversations with um that the student might the the minority student coalition I think is how um what it's called, but like, he's very clear about like, these are people that need to be just like, they need to be talked to. They need to have their, their voices heard. And I, I appreciated Drake pointing that out on Sunday as well, because he also gets met with a lot of um, people who then immediately come into his comments and are like, Oh, you're making this all about race. And I have to just read this one thing that he said, which I think was really, really smart because it's, in my opinion, true. Somebody said, of course, someone had to bring race into it. I'm sure you'll tell us how many other schools haven't had a black head coach in any sport. We'll wait. And so Drake responds and says, I know responding to comments like these, like this one is rarely productive, but it's kind of funny how often I've seen this. Well, what about other schools argument today? I'm legitimately not sure what the point is supposed to be. There are other schools with similar histories. Those schools deserve the same criticism that Nebraska has gotten. Don't think anyone pointing that out disagrees. Had some trouble f- confirming other Power 5 schools with the same situation back in 2020, but there there may be others. It's fairly rare, though, to never have had a black head coach in any sport. Mm-hmm. And so I appreciated him basically being like, what's your point? Like, you're, we're actually like, I, I am asking about other schools. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. It's just, it. here's the thing. I think that, like, it's it's we can acknowledge history and change and moments without needing to like go, well, what about like, it doesn't have to be that way. A lot of things can be true and a lot of feelings can be had and a lot of, a lot of things can be true. And, um, all of these things at once. Like it isn't like you have to like siphon, like we're only talking about this, like all of this stuff, like Mickey Joseph still at the end of the day still has to go be, a great interim head coach. Yeah. He has to like, this is essentially a job interview for him. Yeah. Yep. He like just be like, he, he would probably be the first to tell you, like, I, I don't know how many times I hear like women or people of color when they're the first to do something like they're like, that's great. I'm so excited to like be that representation, but like, I'm looking forward to a day when this is not the conversation because right. that will mean that we have created enough diversity we have created enough you know diversity in spaces that like traditionally have not had that diversity where it isn't 
news every time it happens. So exactly. for people who are coming in going like, why is this news? It's news because it hasn't happened. Right. Exactly. <laughs> it, like it, at some point, like we won't be having these, at least we shouldn't be having these conversations forever. Yeah. I'm telling you. Yeah. I just, um, I don't know. I, I think that there's, I, I, like I said, the thing that really resonated with me personally that Trev said is just like wanting to create kind of something for the players. Yeah. And if nothing else, I hope the rest of this season um, provides kind of a little bit. I, I I imagine for everyone involved, as hard as Sunday probably was, there had to be a, like a kind of a sigh of relief. I was just like, going to say, yeah. I don't think that Frost was like, no, this, like he's, that he literally just got fired from the school where he won a national championship. Mm -hmm. um, he's from Nebraska. His, his mom is in the Nebraska hall of fame. Um, yeah. Like there's, there's a lot of, I think his dad is too. Um, mm -hmm. There's, I always think of that though, because he's always said that his mom is the like true, like star yeah. of the family. So like, I only like ever really pay attention to Carol. Um, it like it's, it sucks. I'm sure. But I'm, I'm imagining for all parties involved, there's a bit of a, just like, like almost like a release of yeah. like pressure and like, just kind of like, okay, there's, there's an opportunity to kind of just breathe because mm -hmm. everything was feeling at least in my perspective, like in my role, which I am like the least important person in this whole thing, but I just wanted to point this out for anyone who cares. In my role, I want to tell good stories. I want to, I want to share, I want to share that the observations that I have. I want to make mm -hmm. cool content. I want to, I want to have that connection with people through like really great, great storytelling. Yeah. And, and that doesn't always mean stories are like warm and fuzzy, but like right. It, it was starting to feel like there was no winning here. It just, it, it was starting to feel very, um, I don't know if the word toxic mm -hmm. is right, but it just, it felt like, for instance, I think about the week of Northwestern Colton feast gets a black shirt and here's this, this Nebraska kid gets a black shirt and it's like a really nice story. You, you know, for most people you'd think like, you'd want to be like singing this from the rafters and mm -hmm. then he was never made available. And this is, these are those things where it's just like, yeah, telling a story about Colton Beast does not change the outcome of games. It doesn't suddenly make things different, but like he deserves to have his story told too. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that like when Scott was starting to feel this pressure, he was starting to lock down and starting to go like, for instance, that week after Northwestern, it's like we got very specific players and nothing else. Mm -hmm. And when that starts to happen, it just becomes hard for everyone because you're feeling then that pressure coming from within mm -hmm. and the pressure is now getting pushed on them from the outside of people going. And then you're having fans going, oh, you're just being like the media is just being uh, over the top. You don't need to have access. And it's like, no, I, I don't. But like when there isn't access, it also becomes you don't get the story on Colton Feast. So what are you right. talking about now? You're probably talking about stuff that's only going to make like more pressure added. To like, yes, like the, the yeah. whole media. And I, I don't know if I'm conveying this well enough, but like, I guess my point is, is like, there can be a really harmonious relationship where like, yes, not everything's going to be sunshine and rainbows, but you can, 
the media can help you tell really great stories about your program and help mm -hmm. kind of like diffuse things. Yeah. If it's not, but also like can be a, I don't know. I just see other schools where their coaches are inviting media in to take a closer look at things, mm -hmm. be at practice, actually see what's going on. Right. And I don't know. I just, I, I hope that like what we see from Mickey Joseph is a little bit more, I would love to just see him be a little bit looser mm -hmm. because I think if he can be a little bit looser and kind of start to kind of like show the players like, Hey, this is cool. Like all of the stuff that comes with this is great too. Um, it benefits them, but I imagine that makes the whole environment just a little Yes. Bit. I was going to say like quick before we hop off here, I think that's something that's undervalued when you're watching a game or even watching it back. Maybe you watch the game to watch the game, but then when you watch it back, paying attention to those sidelines. And I will say that the general feeling that I got when watching back and paying attention to the sidelines was that it just came off as very tense mm -hmm. um, body language. Um, you know, when the mistakes happened, it was like, I mean, I understand that mistakes happen in games and like, sometimes you're, you know, the players are going to you know, take it pretty hard or something, depending on how they are as a player. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm conveying what I'm trying no. to say very well here, but you know, just body language wise, um, tense arms crossed or heads hanging that type of stuff also happened towards the end of Bo Pelini's tenure here. Yes. Uh, it, I think it, you it, saw it during Mike Riley too, but like you can the tell with Mike Riley's was, is like, you could tell they all knew it was coming and yes. it just really stunk, but like you yes. can see how much like that stuff affects them. Whereas yes. if they feel that pressure now and the answer is not less media, less attention, less right. because that doesn't solve the problem. Right. It just, um, takes a spotlight a little bit of a spotlight off of it but not even that mm -hmm. I, I guess like this isn't a surprise to anyone but like I've had this conversation quite a bit recently and I, I think it's important to just kind of reiterate it here I am not a fan of Nebraska I'm actually just really not a fan of anything at this point outside of like the Kansas City Chiefs I pretty much am like just like I just enjoy watching sports but I mm -hmm. have found that like my own personal fandom has changed a lot like in my career like mm -hmm. over the last decade like I just don't I don't know I it just is what it is yeah um but I'm always a fan of people with mm -hmm. that said um I don't like covering a losing team losing isn't fun for anyone mm -hmm. and this idea that like I guess I can't speak for others, but I don't know many who feel this way. Um, the idea that like, as a member of the media, I would want Nebraska to lose for whatever reason. No, Nebraska losing doesn't bring in dollars, by the way, like we're yeah. a business and people don't like to pay for something that makes them mad. And right. you don't see a whole lot of like, you don't see a whole lot of like, people just don't get excited about supporting something that frustrates them. Yep. I, I don't want to cover a losing team. Winning is fun for everyone. It's fun yes. to cover. Yeah. It's fun to be a fan of. It's fun for everyone. And so this idea that like, I, like the reality is, is like when Scott Frost was hired, I like anyone else was excited for what was the potential. It yeah. seemed like the potential was very, very large. And I was excited for that opportunity and what was to come. Um, the unfortunate reality is it did pan out. And the last, you know, four and a half years have been hard. And all I can hope for for Nebraska fans is that whoever Nebraska hires, whoever Nebraska hires, that they're able to come in 
and not only win some games, but make things a little, just, just make things a little more fun again. Make Nebraska fun again. <laughs> oh my gosh. Because it just kind of feels like it hasn't been fun to cover. It hasn't been fun to follow. It hasn't fun, been fun to be a fan of. For a while. For a while. And I, I, that is like, look, I hope that whatever is next for Scott Frost that he finds, he's, here's the thing. We'll see him coaching again. He's a, he's a very good offensive mind. He's going to coach somewhere else. Um, if anyone watched game day, maybe he'll end up at, at Alabama as an offensive analyst. Um, and then that'll just be what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I hope for him that he also finds just solace in, what you know in his future and Mm -hmm. that i can't imagine he's going to be coming around nebraska a whole lot (laughs) going forward Mm -hmm. um but i just hope for everyone's sake that things just kind of like everyone can kind of just breathe a little bit easier and that like trev said we can move forward move on and i i i hope as a human being not a member of the meeting nothing else just as a human being that i hope the future of nebraska athletics is bright across all sports and that yeah. people have something to feel connected to and cheer for, because that is what sports should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, this whole episode is kind of laid out like why it hasn't been. And yeah. I, I just, I, I hope, I hope it, that can be a change. I hope so too. I, I, you know, just seeing some energy seeing, I think the main thing I would love to see on Saturdays is blatant confidence. Yeah. Um, we haven't seen that as as spectators in a, in a long time, I feel like. And uh, I think it would be nice mm-hmm. for the players, for the fans, hell, for the freaking coaching staff, uh, to, just to see blatant confidence out there. Um, just a spark of some kind, I think, I think would, would make people in general, media, fans, or, or, or regardless of who you are, would just be um, something nice to look forward to on a Saturday. Yeah, it's going to be, we're here's the thing. We just said this a little bit ago. This is going to be probably a multi-episode deep dive. So if you're like, we need more, uh, don't worry. We'll, we'll have plenty more, especially as we kind of start to see what the Mickey Joseph era looks like at Nebraska. Mm-hmm. That begins um, right away. So in a week from now, we'll have a better idea and, feel free to send us an email, mind your own podcast. I had said that we were going to get to emails. We didn't have time. We will eventually. <laughs> um, but mind your own podcast at hillvarsity.com. You can also tweet at us at Aaron Sorensen at Sasha 72. And um, we'll be back next week with even more. We, we appreciate you as always for just going along with us and our thoughts and our processing as we, as we do process these things. And yeah. um, like I said, plenty more to dive into, but we hope to hear from you and, Thanks. Thanks for uh, letting us have the space to talk it out. Um, But yeah, we'll be back next week with even more. Thank you for joining us. We'll talk to you then. Bye. A Huda Media Production.